Hey, welcome back in. Other side of Texas. This segment is brought to you by, at least part of this segment is brought to you by, Title I, Lubbock's Digital Real Estate and Title Escrow Company. Title I is committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title I can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at TitleOne.com in studio here. In the studios where Buddy Holly became famous is Mike Collier. He is... The Democratic nominee for Lieutenant Governor of Texas has a hot summer in front of him, and he begins the hot part here in Lubbock, Texas. How are you doing, Mr. Collier? I'm fine. How are you, Jay? Well, um, dandy. I uh, 20 years as an accountant. 22. 22. Oh, I'm still at it. Senior partner. Yeah, yeah. I was a it was a PricewaterhouseCoopers, and so it takes about 12 years to become a partner, and then it takes. Uh, I did that for 10 years, and towards the end of it, I was a senior partner. And then I decided that I wanted to do work on things that were more meaningful in life. Okay. And I've always believed in politics that the way it ought to work is that you ought to have a skill that you develop in the private sector and you ought to offer it up to the public. Do good work. Don't stay too long. That's always been my motto. And I don't see that happening, and so that's one of the real drivers of my doing this. So what years, What where did those 22 years fall? Uh, 89 is when I started, mm-hmm. and uh, 2011 is when I took early retirement. I was 50 then. Okay. So they had a retirement program. I'm not wealthy, uh, but I had enough walking around money well, that I, I mean, could some do something meaningful. Senior partner, 20-plus years, big firm, the right. guy's rolling. But you do have a Chrysler outside. <laughs> it's rented. Okay. It's rented. I drive a Ford F-150. Do you? Yeah. No, I gave up. Any trim package you want to throw no, in there? No, no, it's no, no, it's the, the bottom, uh, bottom line, man. No, nope. yeah, I'm sure there are rubber mats in there. There are, there are, there are. Yeah, yeah, what? cloth so, seats, rubber mats. Oh, so you're John sharpening, huh? <laughs> is, it, is that what this is? I call it old paint. Okay, so Me and old paint. Let's get into it. Uh, tell me, first of all, what you think of my assessment. You are the Joe Manchin, the West Virginia. Democrat, Senator, West Virginia, Joe Manchin. You're the Joe Manchin of Texas, right or wrong? Well, I know only a little bit about Joe Manchin. Uh, I spend most of my time focusing on uh, Pretty Texas. Pragmatic. I mean, he's he pragmatic. Lean, he's popular. Conservative. He's popular. He's he's a, a problem solver. He's a man of the people. I don't view him as much of a partisan. I actually I watch him on TV and I kind of feel sorry for him because you get drawn into partisan battles when you'd really just be in the business of solving problems. There are 95 Republicans in the House, 20 in the Senate, 115 total as of now. When will, how many of those 115 will go behind a curtain and push the lever for Mike Collier? That's a great question. Well, you know, I don't know. I think there's, so there's a lot of teachers uh, in the state that are really no, furious. In the legislature. Oh, in the legislature. Yeah. Oh, well. In, uh, well, it's the Senate that I'm concerned about. You know, the lieutenant governor is the president of the Senate. But right? I'm asking how many of those Republicans will go behind a curtain and cast a vote for Oh, you I see. Because and nobody they, knows. <laughs> because they want to get rid of Dan what Patrick. Think? What do you think? I think many will. 60? Oh, I don't know. Have you got commitments? Uh, no, of course <laughs> not. No, I think many will. I mean, I think the vast majority of Texans really just want a problem solver in that job. We've got a lot of problems, and he's not a problem solver. 89 to 2011. Right. But you were a Republican. 
and now you're a Democrat. What changed? Well, Did so the party leave you. You left the party. Oh What's yeah, the they left me. Left me. They left me. When I I was a Republican, but I was not active in politics. So you know, I didn't knock on any doors. I didn't give any money. I didn't put up yard signs. I would go cast my vote. And when I began to change my point of view, really is when uh, Bill White was our mayor in Houston. And of course, Bill White he ran for governor. So a year reference there. What's that? About what year is that? Uh, that would have been 2005, plus or minus. Because I can tell you when Daryl Stevens was the mayor of Abernathy, but I can't tell you anything about <laughs> Bill White. So about 2005. Yeah, I want to say 2005. He served for six years, if I'm not mistaken. He was he ran for governor. So when he was finished being mayor, he ran for governor, and he ran for governor in 2010. I voted for him, um, and he was running against Rick Perry. And the reason why I voted for Bill White is because he was everything I was looking for in a political leader. And I don't know if you've ever met Bill. But that guy is all steak and no sizzle. He's not flashy, but he's brilliant, hardworking. He knows the oil business very well, uh, honest, uh, but also appropriately empathetic. And, you know, I just saw everything I was looking for in him and a political leader. And so at the same time, I was watching the Republican Party in Texas veer further, further and to the right. I was actually more concerned about uh, what I thought was uh, declining in our democracy it wasn't so much the push to the right that bothered me um, when Rick Perry was, you know, governor for a long, long time. And you could see that he had, had appointed all the commissioners and had outsized influence. And you felt that political competition was declining very rapidly. And you saw that we weren't talking about issues anymore. We were talking about non-related issues. It, was, it, it suddenly became all about politics and who's going to get what job and, and very self-serving. And uh, then I saw, you know, Bill White, who's, like, not political. He just solved problems. We had a hurricane strike our city, and he did a fabulous job managing that. Great business skills. We need so much more business skills in politics. So that's when I started to drift in the direction of the Democrats. And then what really put me over the edge, and the reason why I'm running today, is when we cut public education back in 2011. And, Jay, I don't know if you know the story, but in a nutshell... Uh, the uh, comptroller at the time, Republican, Susan Combs. Or controller, as Bob Bullock would say, but go ahead. Yeah, it depends on your point of view. Uh, I have a very Bullockian point of view. <laughs> controller is actually the right one, yeah. but if you're running for office and you tell people you're a controller and nine out of ten look at you like, what is that? Just you, like they do with county judge yeah. or railroad commissioner. You pivot to comptroller just to, just to save All steps. Right. But I just, You wouldn't last it in Bob right. Bullock's office. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, anyway, so Comptroller uh, Controller Combs mm. uh, told the legislature we had a big deficit and they cut public education by $5.4 billion. That's the largest public education cut in any state. I mean, we're a big state, but that was huge and painful. And I'm a public school proponent, always have been. And I smelled a rat because she said, we don't have the money and we have to fire these teachers. And I said, wait. So the Price Waterhouse. Yeah, yeah. And, and I said, wait, there's something wrong here because property taxes pays for public education and my property taxes are going up. Now, why are you telling me when I'm paying more and more taxes that we don't have a, enough money for schools and we have a crisis? I immediately smelled her at. And, Jay, it turned out I was right. When the legislature had done their work, the cuts were made, the teachers were fired, the rivers were tears were flowing like rivers. And about three months went by, and then the comptroller came out and said, you're not going to believe this, but we have a surplus. And I said, this is, I don't want to say a bad word. Even in West Texas, I don't even want to say a bad Beto word. Came on the but show it starts, and said it, but go ahead. Yeah, but it BS. I okay. said, this is not 
Right. I don't. We can crop in Beto saying that <laughs> over your voice. But go ahead. No, I just for two reasons I had a very bad reaction. One, you can't cut public education glibly for political reasons. I mean, it's too important. And two, don't lie to me about taxes. I mean, that's you know I'm an auditor, and I get lied to for a living, and I can't stand it. So what came next was Susan Combs decided to retire. And there were no Democrats that were willing to run because you can't win. Let's, so Let's delve into property taxes. Yeah. And then I want to come back to a comparing of the parties today. Fabulous. The kind of Manchian ground that you're walking here, <laughs> in my view. Uh, and then I want to get over into the tragic school shooting and, yeah. and your thoughts on that. But uh, and we are going to take you in the next segment. I hope that you're going to stick around. Whatever you need. Um, I'm happy to be here. That's my uh, polite way of saying stay right in your seat. So property taxes then, Mike Collier, what is the problem? What is the Bill White, Mike Collier solution to property taxes in Texas? And let me add, take us through the talking points that we hear and tell us why, like you contrasting what Combs was saying, sieving through it at that time, why is it wrong and what's the real solution? Property taxes are going up at the same time spending in schools is going down. And the reason for that is the state can't pay its bills and it is using our public school finance mechanism to launder money out of your pocket. Launder? Yes, out of your pocket and out of my pocket. Your opponent's been using that term. And siphon it up to pay the state's bills. The state is not funding public education. I'll give you some numbers. If you go back, you don't have to go back too many years ago when the state was putting in 60% of every dollar that we spent in public education and local property taxes were putting in 40%. When we get to 2019, those ratios will be reversed. Property taxes will be putting in 60%. The state will be putting in 40, 40%. And let me explain what that means to a place like Lubbock, okay, Lubbock ISD. And I did a thing, it's on my website, It's called the Great Texas Property Tax Swindle. And I looked at the 100 largest school districts in terms of student population. And where's the money coming from in 2010 versus where's the money coming from in 2017? And if you're an accountant like me, you love doing this sort of stuff. And you'll find in Lubbock that spending per student is only up $41 over that seven-year period on an inflation-adjusted basis. Spending is up $41. But local taxes are up four times that, $161 per student. So what happens is when the state withdraws its funding, while our property taxes keep going up, 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 we end up putting in more, they end up putting in less, we end up putting less in schools, and that's the problem. That is the heart of the problem. But I've heard you talk a minute about, just for the audience's sake, talk about what we're doing with commercial property versus residential and where the numbers get moved around there. Yeah, so uh, I'm delighted because that's the main, that's the only tax move that I want to make as lieutenant governor, just one. Make one tax move and then one audit move, and the two work hand in hand. I mean, if you're going to ask corporations to put in more money, which is where this is headed, you have to assure them it's not being wasted. So you have to do two things, but one tax move and one audit move. The tax move is to close a loophole in the property tax laws They were introduced in 1997. It's called the Equal and Uniform Law, which is great for homeowners. It's designed to protect homeowners. It says if you have a house and I have a house and they're comparable and your appraisal is low and my appraisal is high, then I can say, 
That isn't fair, and I get my appraisal reduced to your value. It protects homeowners, and I love that. It protects small businesses. However, the, the language in the law is got errors in it. And Valero and some of the big boys who own large commercial and industrial properties got a hold of it and found that they could sue to reduce their value of their property to below market value, which is below what the Constitution requires, and they do, and they do it a lot, and so much so that we're missing $5 billion a year in underpaid taxes. Now, that lands on homeowners' backs, and that lands on small businesses' backs, and it starves our schools. And so the only tax move that I want to make in that session is to close that loophole. And, and Jay, one last thing. exactly? So let's say I use the, uh, uh, well, it's called the Equal and Uniform Law passed in 1997, uh, I could I could give you the Senate okay. bill number. I don't have it memorized, but here's what I mentioned. So here's how it works. Uh, you and I, the example I just used was you're a homeowner and I'm a homeowner. Let's change this. Let's assume for a minute that we're both um, downtown skyscrapers, okay, and we're the same size, but the difference is that that you're young and new and downtown, good restaurants, good parking, good everything. You're more valuable. I'm old, dilapidated, bad part of town. Nobody wants to pay rent there I'm less valuable now let's say the appraisals come along appraisers come along and say that you're worth 500 million and they say I'm worth 200 million it's probably about right under the law you can sue and say well if Mike's worth 200 I'm only worth 200 and you'll you'll win that suit because of the error in the law simple as that Okay. And all you have to do is close that loophole and it's come before the Senate many times and you think it is five billion. It's five billion. Yes, yeah. it was measured last you did measured. Did work in your office or? You no, no, no. It was it was last measured uh, comprehensively by the large appraisal districts in two thousand six, and the number then was four billion, and so if you adjust it for inflation, it would be five billion now. It hasn't been calculated comprehensively since two thousand six. However, in two thousand sixteen, which is just a couple of years ago, the Legislative Budget Board did a sample of three uh, appraisal districts and concluded that the problem is still there. And you can project that out, and it's still in the billions. Here's my fear, Mike Call. You're going into the next legislature, assuming, don't take it personal, assuming you don't win and things stay on its present course. What you're going to get is some, I'm going to say all, but you're going to get some rural Republicans that get picked off that say, look, we're going to put you exempt under an appraisal cap, and we're going to squeeze the big cities. Where does that end eventually? in your mind disaster disaster because what you hear dan patrick for example saying this is the alternative point of view and this is what i'm campaigning against rather than uh fess up as to the reason for the property tax crisis they're blaming schools they're blaming cities they're blaming counties and people who collect taxes and they want to demand that you collect less taxes now what does that mean that means we don't have enough money for schools schools are already struggling i mean it's bad uh, we don't have enough money for fire response. We don't have money for police. We don't have enough money for anything, for roads. Uh, so their approach is a disaster, and they just aren't being honest. So if they win and go down that path, it's just a calamity. And let me tell you one other thing. Because the state can't pay its bills, because of other decisions that they were made, we can get into that if you'd like, the state is drowning in debt. The greatest, The greatest fraud ever perpetrated on Texans is that we always balance our books. Have you heard them say that? We don't balance our books. The constitutional obligation. 
Doesn't matter. You know how much we owe? Is we just Houston rolling over right now. You know how much we owe? We just crossed the one hundred billion dollar mark in debt on the state's books. And then if you add up the debt that's on school districts books, it's a multiple of that. All right. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back in and we're gonna talk about Democrats for a minute. Delighted. All right. Stick with us right here, other side of Texas. Mike Collier in studio. Howdy, Jay. West Texas Leeson here. I'm going to tell you about my friends at Flint Boot and Hat. They've been building hats since 1994 and repairing boots, I guess, since forever. My dog chewed up my ostrich boots. Jared and his guys replaced the heel, made them look new again, put new pulls on. And at a super affordable price, they've resold my boots and they build great hats. Love these guys. Go check them out. 3035 34th Street or Flint Boot and Hat Shop at Flint and 34th Street. See more at FlintHat.com. Lubbock File Room bringing you this segment, the conclusion of our interview here with Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor mike collier lubbock file room providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to lubbock and the surrounding area since 1992 for a free and hassle-free estimate give them a call at lubbockfileroom.com 806-744-7666 that's 806-744-7666 picking up again with mike collier you left the republicans in 2011 and so you've been involved in democratic politics since then since 2011 12 yeah that's right and then your last race you ran for uh controller right last time around against hager how in your mind has uh hager done glenn hager well he's a he's a good guy i like him he's not a bad guy at all in fact relative to paxton and patrick he's uh, He's the normal one of the bunch, but he hasn't he hasn't done what I wanted to do with that office, which is to provide the leadership. So, the, he hasn't really been assertive in terms of this property tax crisis. He hasn't been assertive in terms of debt. He hasn't been assertive in terms of, you know, I view that office as as creating a wonderful opportunity, like like Bob Bullock in the in the old days, to provide some real effective leadership. He's he's running the office very much like the more recent comptrollers, and so he's a good guy. If if I get elected, and if he gets elected. I would love to think we could work well together, uh, but he d- didn't do that office what I would have done with it. So let me ask you about Democrats today. And, you know, if you're just tuning in, you can go back to our uh, Apple iTunes podcast and listen to this. But I started off with the assessment that you are a Joe Manchin. I don't hear you go after Trump in a lot of ways like Beto O'Rourke doesn't go after Trump. Uh, you don't go after Trump because I think that you guys understand that you've got to pick off Trump voters in order to get to the 51. So there is not a lot. Now, that's not to say that you don't have ill will or or less for the president. But I think that you know that you need to pick off some moderates and even even some conservative Republicans who are wondering, well, what's conservative about what's going on? right now but the state of the party right now mike collier i want to ask you to put on those headphones and i want you to listen to an exchange here we've talked about pragmatism we've talked about reasonableness and i'm going to ask you that tonight when the numbers roll in the odds on favorite for governor is lupe valdez and you step aside this or take it on or pass whatever you want to do I think that she's a liability to the likes of Mike Collier and to the likes of Beto O'Rourke because you're going to engage 
a base that has already lost several elections in a row. Uh, you need to engage new people. And it's to this point, I go after a lot of guys because of ideological roadside bombs that they always throw out. And here in that debate, a week and a half ago, Andrew White, Houston businessman, and Lupe Valdez, Dallas County Sheriff, Valdez said something that I could not believe. It sounds like something that an ideological, like beyond the pale ideological right-winger would say when she said this. But, Andrew, you've implied that women that have had an abortion do not respect life. I've not implied that. Well, you've said in your own personal beliefs. Those are my personal beliefs, absolutely. So that implies that other people that don't agree with you do not respect life? I respect people who Andrew, don't Andrew, you owe an apology to these women. Listen, I absolutely... Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Yeah. Please, please. I... Let me say this. I know there's a theatrical aspect to this and to, to what you just said, but what you just said had nothing to do with what I have been saying. So the reality is still the reality, right? My personal opinions are my personal opinions. And as governor, I trust women to make their own health care decisions. So here we have this situation, Mike Collier, where there is on both sides of the political spectrum an idea that you cannot have. Like, for instance, let me just be basic. We always talk about in our homes, we run it like this, that. In our home, we raise our children very conservatively. But they know that they go and integrate and they come home and it's, well, guess what so-and-so said today? And they want to tell me a, cur a curse word that they learned at school. No. Who said that? Well, Malcolm said that. Well, what's Malcolm's last name? Well, it's not Leeson. Exactly. It's not. We can hold to our own private positions and then engage in society. And what Lupe Valdez seems to be saying to Andrew White, who, by his own admission, says that he's pro-life in, in of his own convictions. And Valdez is saying, no, you cannot be. You cannot have your own views. You, you, must, you must allow everything and exclude nothing, and that, that's the only way to govern. And I'll just quote, Reinhold Niebuhr comes to mind. There must be a realm of truth beyond political competence, that you must be able to hold to your convictions and then engage in the public square. And what Valdez, I'm telling you right now, Mike Collier, running at the top of the ticket, towards the top of the ticket like you are, that is going to erode down on you. What do you do about that? I mean, well, there will be moderates yeah, that look no. at that ticket and say, well, I can't go with that. I mean, Valdez can't say I can't have my own private conclusions or convictions or I'll offend all women and I ought to be ashamed and apologize. That's crazy talk. That's as crazy as the stuff I talk about with Boss Dunn and, and Shooter Sullivan and all those guys. Well, first of all, the lieutenant governor is the top of the ticket. The lieutenant governors get substantially more power than the governor in Texas, and you know that, and I know that, uh, because the lieutenant governor is the president of the Senate. So you, you'll set the tone. The lieutenant governor. And I have a very, very independent point of view on everything. Uh, I like Andrew. I like Lupe. I like them both. Um, but here's my deal. I mean, I have a very independent point of view. I've thought about these things for a long, long time. I'm very comfortable in my own skin uh, as it relates to that issue, which is not a feature of my campaign because the lieutenant governor really doesn't have much power over that, frankly. I mean, it's set in the Constitution. Over what? The abortion. Issue? Abortion. Okay. It's set in the Constitution. However, I do have a point of view. Yeah, the United okay. States Constitution. Just However, I do have a point of view, which is for reasons related to my notion of freedom, 
and how democracy should work and how the Constitution should work, I'm pro-choice. However, I have a calling on the issue, which is to reduce the need for abortion. And you do that by investing in education and contraception and adoption. And um, it, is, is it just so happens that many, 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 many Texans share that point of view. So you look at a, the causative factor of abortions as being economic-related. Oh, no, I don't, I don't even wade into that territory. That's beyond my, I'm not a medical ethicist, say, no, I'm not whenever a... Whenever you say, if you put more money towards education, you wouldn't need abortion. You well, I think it reduces a, the need for abortion well. services. If, you, if, you, if we invest in education, if we invest in contraception, there's plenty of statistics that prove this point. The number of abortions are declining, which is a wonderful thing, across all the states, including Texas. Um, if you uh, invest and reduce the need for abortion services, then the number of abortions go down. I feel very right with myself and saying, and then if you think about the power of the lieutenant governor, the lieutenant governor does not have the power to ban abortion because of the Constitution and how it operates. The only power available to the lieutenant governor is to reduce the need for the service. Well, I will say that I disagree with you in the principle. In the pragmatism, I do not. Because I think that there is a great amount of political and theological, if I might say, uh, with all due respect to Lupe Valdez, my theology does inform some of my points of view. And there is a great amount of political and otherwise dissonance whenever you look at what we're doing with kids in the acute care therapy program in the state mm -hmm. and taking money out of that, right, with the assumed loopholes that you were laying out earlier with commercial right. and, and residential. But I cannot get over that. I cannot get over it. So we, we're going to fight and demand that children be born, and then we're going to abdicate them, to, to use Martin Luther King language, to the tentacles of circumstances. And I cannot, that's an incongruence I can't get around. Yeah, well, it's not an incongruence in terms of my policy, uh, Jay, frankly, because that's, you know, the power available to the lieutenant governor and the things that I wish to do in the state I'd, is to be more compassionate. I mean, the, the work begins for me when that child is born and off we go. Are and you what a happens? New compassionate conservative? Is that what I'm hearing? You know, it was interesting. Let's talk about that. When, when uh, George Bush talked about compassionate conservatism, I thought that had kind of a strange sound to it, and I wasn't quite sure why he was trying to take us that down that path. I think what it means is that he saw compassion was leaving his party and that it's now a prohibited attribute. And when I think about the things that I wanted, and I talk about this a lot on the campaign trail, uh, I mean, I'm fiscally conservative. I hate wasting money. Don't overtax me. Don't waste my money. But if there's things that we need to do so that young people have a shot at being successful, do it. If there's things that we need to do to help somebody get to the next level, do it. Uh, and so there's compassion in my ethos. I'm fiscally conservative, but I'm compassionate. And the Republicans have no interest in me. You know, I say these things, and they throw me out. They did throw me out. So here we are. So it's those who are in the situation that you were in in 11, 2011. Is that your target? Is that who you try to talk to? No, I, so the base that I'm building to the extent a politician can actually tell who's in his base or not, it's really quite interesting as a, you know, I still consider myself new to this. I've never won a, a race. Um, but I spend 99.9% .9 of my time uh, talking about the problems and then sp providing specific solutions. And uh, part of this is just my upbringing in the PwC partnership. You know, you walk into a board of directors office with a problem, you better also have a solution.
you're not evaluated on the basis of your being able to inventory problems. You're evaluated on the basis of your ability to solve problems. I run into this all the time in public policy, you know, particularly Democrats who are very empathetic. Um, we, we like to uh, inventory the problems. And then you go to the next rally. And I won't do that. I, yes, we'll inventory the problems, but then we quickly pivot into, and what is the solution? And it's the solution that's the joy to me. So to, to answer your question, Jay, my base, I perceive, are people who uh, are okay that I'm a Democrat, either because they're Democrats too or they're open-minded, and they want to solve problems, and they think that my solutions are appropriate. That's my base, and I stick to that. Speaking of problems that need solutions, we have Democratic candidate for Lieutenant Governor Mike Collier here on the other side of Texas. The school shootings last week in Santa Fe, Texas, the governor has called for, we spoke with Scott Braddock yesterday about this, Scott Braddock, the quorum report about a series of roundtable discussions and then on by the governor and then even ha Texas House Chairman Byron Cook out of Corsicana calling on the governor to call for a special session to address school shootings in Texas. If you're at the round table with the governor and with your opponent, what are the solutions here, Mike Collier? First, let me say that we're, we are, have called and we'll be calling on the governor to have a special session. If we're going to go and have a special session related to bathrooms, which is contrived, we darn sure better have a special session That's when we're talking about the murder of students. Yes, was about bathrooms. Well, that's, what I'm talking about is a special session to deal with school safety. But we're going to take it one step further, um, and um, this is aired on Tuesday night. Wednesday we'll have a press conference. We will have issued our press release. Um, I've actually laid out a crisis response and timeline because I don't believe that anything's going to be done by Governor Abbott and Dan Patrick. And they can prove me wrong by acting, but I don't believe they will. And here's what action looks like, and this is the test. Uh, we know enough about what the problems are. I'll share with you my point of view as to what they are. I think that uh, Governor Abbott, we're going to call on him to do s these things. Uh, appoint a school safety czar immediately to consolidate these various points of view, finish the roundtable work, and um, develop a comprehensive plan and have that plan done by the 15th of June. So that's less than a month. Allow for a comment period. Uh, so the public can weigh in on this between June 16th and June 25th. Uh, Finalize the plan on the 25th, call the legislature into Austin on the 26th, have it enacted into law and signed by the governor by July 1st, begin implementation on July 1st. So that gives uh, all the people involved eight solid weeks before school starts. That's what executive action looks like. That's what we're calling on him to do. And what are the elements of the solution? which is probably on everybody's mind. There's three broad elements to the solution. I'm just going to state the obvious. Uh, we'll leave guns for last. First is um, mental health and behavioral matters. It costs money to track people that are in trouble and to help them. So we've got to put more money in schools. Uh, and there's many different ways that you can break that into its component parts. But broadly speaking, that's where people, we know we need to do that. Two, physical, uh, physical safety. What are the parameters in terms of entry and exit? and detection systems and so and f f I just yeah, I don't mean please. to interrupt you no, but please. I just have to ask so I you know I understand I totally agree with step one um my roommate's a counselor she works in mental health I think that's something that America needs to see more of um but so I mean as someone who potentially is going to have kids within the next 10 years step two scares me I don't want to necessarily send my children to a place where 
their school is scary looking or, you know, they have reasons to fear or, you know, they have to worry about if they're going to make the metal detector go off, you know, and what happens if someone brings a gun in, you know, that's kind of... Well, I hear this all the time, Lauren. I hear this all the time, and I agree with you. I think it costs money to do it in a way that's friendly and happy and doesn't feel like a prison. It does, but, you know, and that's where you have to prioritize what's important and what what are we going to spend money on, and I think that our children are our future. Oh, absolutely. And that's where the most money should be spent. Yeah, when I think of of the physical security, I think in terms of cameras, Mm -hmm. uh, I think in terms of motion detectors, there's all sorts of ways that children don't realize that... Right, that, that keeps them mentally safe. They want to feel great about the school, and it right. costs money. Right. It costs money. Flow control in terms of traffic, mm-hmm. the line of sight, there's all sorts of things. And then the last thing, let me cut to that if I may. Not, not, yeah, I mean, it's very important, Lauren, but yeah. I'm mindful of the time, but I do want to talk about guns. Yeah. Uh, because that's obviously an important yeah. part of this. Right. Uh, and, of course, it doesn't take guns. I mean, people hurt other people with cars and bombs and all sorts of things. Gun is just one part of the equation, but we must be honest with guns. Uh, and Mothers Against uh, Mothers Demand Action is an organization in the state that's supporting me. We talk about this all the time. I think it's very simple when we talk about sensible gun laws. And I'm a gun owner, and I'm a second rights, a second amendment guy. Are you oh, carry them? No. Right. No. If you weren't going to carry, what would you carry? Glock, I guess. Right. That's what all my friends have. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I think we need to do something. The background check system is broken. We need to fix it. Everybody knows it. It's an information technology play, mostly. There's other things on the margin we can do, but background checks are universally well received. Uh, it, the system's broken. We need to fix it. Second, um, I don't favor any relaxation of any of the licensing requirements now. And those that want to relax them, I'm, uh, I'm not with them. Uh, third, we have laws in the books related to such things as uh, domestic violence, and if you've been convicted of a crime, you're not allowed to have guns. Those have been on the books. They've been very well received, but they're not, they're not well enforced. The only new uh, feature to gun, uh, sensible gun laws that I favor uh, is red flag laws. And uh, we can make it whatever we wish to make it as a state, but the, the, the general proposition is, you know, we already have laws that say some people, their Second Amendment rights are suspended if they've been convicted of a violent crime, if they have mental illness, if they have... There's a whole panoply of reasons why somebody might have their Second Amendment rights suspended and uh, has to be suspended by a court. Uh, we do this all the time and we do it routinely, but we don't do it quickly. Mm-hmm. And so you can't do it with speed. And speed is of the essence. And uh, so I favor an approach that says if somebody is perceived to be a threat to the community, because a friend or a neighbor or a teacher or a preacher says, I think there's something wrong here, uh, using due, relying on due process, you've got to have the courts involved, you've got to have competent evidence, you've got to have psychologists. I mean, you don't suspend a fundamental right glibly. You've got to do it with due process, as we do already, but you do it with speed. Uh, and so that's favored by Moms Demand Action. I favor that. But would that... That pans out a bit from schools, like the tragedy last week in Denton County. Father goes into the house, shoots up his three children and, and his wife. Uh, wife survives. Would a red flag have caught him in your mind, Mike Collier? None of these are perfect. None of these are perfect. None of these are meant to be perfect. Uh, we can't be perfect. What we have to do is do all of these things together in concert to do our best. And where our leaders deserve our criticism 
in my opinion, is that they aren't doing all of these things in concert with vigor, uh, protecting our rights. You've got to protect our rights. But there's so much more that we can do uh, with rigor uh, to do our best, okay, which so is what we're not doing. This is where I want to close out, and then you can give the pitch and website and all those things, Mike Collier. But I want to know, I think we're conservatives in the line of conservative of your opponent, of a Dan Patrick. Is an implication each time when they speak that culture, it's a they culture and it's sick. That, th that the culture around us is sick. And I think they're right in a lot of ways. Um, I think that culture is sick, but I don't understand how we're supposed to have a society in such culture unless we really engage problems. And there are going to be people who hear your interview and call you a gun grabber. Um, who say that you want to put up more of these restrictions on licenses and uh, make the background checks uh, block people's Second Amendment rights. But if we don't do something, what what's the alternative and what do you think the ramification is? Well, I will defend Second Amendment rights to the end. I mean, I am a Bill of Rights guy. I'm a constitutional guy. I haven't said anything here to suggest that I'm anything other than pro-Second Amendment all the way. All I'm suggesting is there are, and I would even consider these, they're, sens they're sensible adjustments to laws that already exist. For example, really all I've said here today is to the extent we have background check system make it work, to the extent that uh, you can suspend somebody's Second Amendment right if they're mentally ill or for these other reasons that have been perfectly well accepted uh, is be able to do it with speed. Those are the only adjustments that I intend to make. I'm not a gun grabber. Nobody's going to grab my gun. Uh, the others will say that because they want to win the election. And the reason why they want to win the election is all the other bad things that they're doing when it comes to corruption and campaign finance. We haven't gotten into any of that. I mean, we have a ter terrifically corrupt system. Uh, not everyone will hear this and say, okay, Mike's my guy. I get it. Uh, but the part for me is to, is to say it honestly, tell people what my principles are, show them how I'm going to solve the problems. So we've got some big problems. Uh, many, if not most of them, come down to money. And I'm an accountant, and, uh, and I can solve these problems. Mike Collier, the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor, tell them where they can find your website. So it's at collierfortexas.com, all spelled out. And needless to say, I would appreciate people's votes. Uh, I would be very honored to serve as lieutenant governor. I, I want to say one last thing, if I may. I often get asked... You know, Mike, with your resume, your resume doesn't look like a Democrat, looks like a Republican. You know, you, your hair looks like Mike Pence. You know, you don't look like a Democrat. You look like a Republican. And I often, are you conservative or a liberal or what are you? And I often tell them, I am an accountant. And I'm not just being glib. I am far too analytical by nature to be partisan. And I happen to think that that's what's missing. And I'm delighted that the Democrats are delighted. And mm. it gives me a chance to run for office. Oh, i got to ask you one more. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I would be remiss not to ask yeah, this please. because it comes up a lot with your opponent. Yeah. You use a lot of Texas lingo lingo in your campaign. Yeah. Like uh, true Texas, this, that, and other. But y are you from Texas? Well, I moved here when I was 14. Okay. I went to high school here. Um, I started, started my freshman year in high school. Uh, Georgetown High School marched in the Eagle Band. I went to UT, marched in the Longhorn Band. I've lived in Texas. I've lived in Austin, Dallas, Houston. And then Price Waterhouse uh, had me in New York for two years, and we uh, came right back. Have you ever uh, looked at real estate out by Kittyquay? 
No. Okay. Just look into <laughs> it. I'm glad you did. Mike Collier, thank you for taking time. Thank you.